I'm here with Mike Sessions, a faculty member in the Design and Construction Management Department. He has been working here for 10 years, and he's also a patriarch of 12 years. So to just begin, can you tell me why you decided to come to BYU-Idaho? Well, the Lord told me to. That was why I had started into a... um, advanced education, if you will, getting a master's degree and PhD. I was about 40. I'd always wanted to go back to school, but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to study. And then I had several people come into my life that got me really excited about going back to school. And they're all significant people in their own right. One owned her own consulting company, and um, she... She's the leading consulting company for universities in uh, on the East Coast, like Massachusetts, MIT, Harvard. She's consulted at all of them. And um, Clayton Christensen, he's uh, one of the leading researchers and authors at uh, Harvard, or was. And then another gal, her name was Anne-Marie Cooper. She owned her own consulting company and was the leading practitioner in servant leadership. And all these people came to my life almost all at the same time. And as a result of conversations and mentoring with them, they got me really excited to go back to school. And I started thinking, but why? Why would I want to do that? And I really couldn't answer that question other than I was excited to learn. And I've always been a reader. I like to read things, a lot of stuff. And I thought, well, it'd be great to go back and have people guide me in things that I should research or study, think about. And, um, but it was a big decision because at the time I was a stake president. I was part owner of a construction company on the East Coast. We had 1,200 employees, so it was a big company. And to think about going back to school was kind of big. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I also had five teenagers, so that was another aspect. So my wife and I, we, I researched, I found a school, we prayed about it, we fasted about it, and we felt like it was the right thing to do, so I went back to school. And then a few years later, the company that I was with, that I was part owner of, my partners kind of wanted to go in a different direction than I wanted to go with the company. And so I decided that it was probably time for me to do something different in my life. So I left the company and Oh, gosh, I tried a few things like consulting, and I ran a nonprofit, some things like that, and and uh, I just felt like I wasn't doing the right thing. So I was out on my lawn tractor mowing the grass one day, and I was praying, and I said, Heavenly Father, I just, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm doing the right things. I'm not sure if I'm going down the right path, and, and um, I got a very clear impression to go look at BYU. And so I, I went in the house and I got on the computer and, and I was looking at the job postings in BYU-Idaho. They had a construction management position posted. So I applied and uh, I didn't think they'd hire me, but they did. And that's how I got here. Yeah. Wow. So do you feel like you needed to go to grad school so that you could be able to teach here? I think it helped. It certainly, on my resume, set me apart, I believe, um, from the other candidates that I'd gone back to school. I had my master's at that point, and I was working on the Ph.D. I'm not sure how important that was in the decision process. I never got to ask anybody, but 
I assume that it was it was part of what was important. It clearly was something the Lord was preparing me to do or to have before I applied. So, and that was 10 years ago, right? I was hired 10 years ago. Yeah. So what has made you stay here? Oh, I love it here. Yeah, it, gosh. I remember I came home a couple of years after I started working here, and um, my wife said, you know, I don't think I've ever seen you this happy before. Wow. You just really are happy all the time. And there's a lot of a lot of pressure in construction. It's a very high risk industry, can be very intense. And I suppose that had an impact on my happiness. I don't know, but I've enjoyed working with the students, watching them grow and progress. I really get excited when they graduate and they go out and find something that, that really appeals to them and they do very well and are successful. I also I really enjoy the colleagues that I work with. I, um, the team in construction management, the faculty in the department are really amazing people, and they're a lot of fun to work with. And then there's other people at the university and things that I get to work with that um, just everybody is so committed and dedicated to what they're doing. It's, it makes it a lot of fun to be here. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So now as a professor, how do you engage with students in the classroom? How do you connect with them? Hmm, you probably should ask them that question. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, try, I try to create a lot of team-based and project-based assignments. And so as opposed to me standing up in the front um, lecturing, if you will, I might give a little bit of instruction at the beginning of class, and then um, the students are going to work together as a team to solve like a case study or something. So I like to wander around the class and just chat with them, see how they're doing on the assignment, maybe get to know them, ask them a few questions about themselves or something, you know, while I'm doing that. It just creates a more dynamic environment that invites opportunity to to discuss things. I like to see it when they they struggle. They'll get to a point in an assignment, and I can see that there's a number of them that either don't understand how to move forward, and then we'll stop, and um, we'll have a discussion about that and an explanation. Then they'll dive back in. So I really like that. I like to, um, I like to invite uh, students over to my house. We have dinner. Uh, occasionally, and uh, my wife loves to meet the students, and so we have we have a lot of fun that way, just getting to know the students outside of school mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's really cool. I love it when teachers do that. So to kind of switch gears a little bit, you are a patriarch, yes. Um, and I'm curious how you stay spiritually in tune enough to give such important blessings to people. Hmm. I have been an avid reader of uh, the words of the prophets and the scriptures for many years, and I continue to do that. So I, I uh, read scriptures daily, and, and I, don't, I don't just sit down and read. You know, I don't have a goal like I'm going to read this chapter or something like that. With Come, Follow Me, I, I do try to read everything that we're going to talk about in Sunday school, but as an example— uh, one year, I, when I was starting the Book of Mormon again, I felt like 
I didn't want to just read it cover to cover like I'd normally done. So I got a, a, a journal and I would read and then I would stop. You know, maybe I'd even read just a sentence or a couple of verses. And I would think to myself, why was this so important that God had to preserve it on golden plates, bury it in the ground, bring it forward, you know, all those kind? Why did I need to know that? How come I had to know about Lehi leaving Jerusalem and the pillar of light shone down on a rock? And, you know, they, that story didn't have to be told that way. And I, I remember that particular story. I wrote 12 pages. And it just, things, ideas just flowed in my mind about why that might be there and how I could use certain things and how it connected to other things that were in the scriptures. So I've done a lot of that. I, I serve in the temple here, so I've been doing that for about 10 years. And uh, the temple is always a great place to recharge my spiritual batteries. Um, probably like everybody, I fast and pray. I don't know if that's helpful for yeah, you. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, and how, what advice do you have for someone preparing to receive their patriarchal blessing? How should they prepare? Well, if, if it helps you to feel the Spirit, then I would suggest you fast before you come and certainly pray about it. There are several really excellent talks a person could read, some of which were just in, uh, not the last conference, but the conference before there was two on patriarchal blessings. You have to meet with the bishop before, and the bishop gives you um, a recommend for the blessing. And it's it'd be worthwhile to just chat with the bishop about what you might learn, uh, what things to consider before a blessing. I think those would probably be the things, once you've decided that you want to do it, you've prayed about it, that this is right for you, those would probably be some good things to do. Yeah, cool. Um, and then for someone who has received their patriarchal blessing, how can they get the most out of it? Well, the brethren have told us that a patriarchal blessing is personal scripture. And so I think if you treat it like personal scripture, then you'll get more out of it. And what I mean by that is, number one, it's a it's kind of like a text message from Heavenly Father to you. <laughs> And if you got a text message from Heavenly Father, you'd probably read that a lot. So read it frequently. And I would say highlight it, underline, uh, write in the columns. You, you can always go onto the church website and print out another one if you scribbled all over it. So they're easy to get access to uh, a new copy of it. But if you're like me, when you read the scriptures, I, I have to note things down. It helps me to just stop. And now that I use the Gospel Library app, I stop and I'll write notes about something. Oh, this word, if I look up the Greek of that word, it means this and that. Well, when you read your uh, Patriarchal Blessing, do the same thing. You know, stop and pause and think, what, what could that be telling me? What might I need to do differently? And you might just write notes right on the side of your Patriarchal Blessing. One thing to think about is that you can get a copy of an ancestor's blessing. So you can go onto the church website, and if that ancestor received a blessing and it was recorded in Salt Lake, it's there forever. That means yours is there too, forever. Nobody can get access to it until you pass away. 
but all future generations of your posterity can request access to it. So think that sometime in the future, maybe you have a great-granddaughter who's never met you, and her testimony is struggling. And she gets a copy of your patriarchal blessing and reads it and finds all these notes on it or looks in your diary and reads in your diary how this patriarch didn't know you from Adam, didn't know who you were, and yet 20 years later something happened in your life and there it was in your patriarchal blessing. It just made sense of what you went through and helped you through that. Think of how that would strengthen your posterity, your future generations. So when you consider how you use it, also consider that it might be something that could strengthen not just you, but your future generations as well. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. I've never thought about it that way. Have there been any experiences as a patriarch that I guess have just stuck with you in any part of that process? So my wife is the scribe. So she types them up. Obviously, they get recorded and she types them up. And um, we both have realized that we have a special gift that comes with these callings. And it's called the gift of forgetting. Hmm. So uh, I will remember, sometimes I'll remember great details for um, the period of time that I'm preparing the blessing. She's typing it and we're getting it ready to, to go out um, in the mail. But by the time I mail it, which usually is one week, once I put it in the post office box, I don't remember anything. And uh, I think there's a really good reason for that. It's not mine. It's yours. The only person who uh, has that blessing is you, unless there's somebody else you sh choose to share it with, like maybe a spouse. So it doesn't cloud my mind when I do another blessing. I don't have like the previous blessing in my head when I perform another blessing. So there's a lot of unique differences that emerge in every blessing. And I'm not, um, my mind isn't caught up with something really interesting that happened in the last blessing. It's just gone out of my mind. There was, um, there was a young lady, and, and really the only reason I remember these stories and the ones that I do remember is usually there was some kind of conversation either before or after the blessing. Otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't remember. Um, so I asked her after her blessing if it was helpful. I, I just uh, said something like, well, was that helpful for you? Oh, yeah, she said that. Um, that was really helpful. I... I uh, came with a question. Actually, my bishop told me if I came with a question that it would be answered, probably be answered. And um, I decided, this is what she said, I decided that if I could get one question answered, I'd come with four. Well, I didn't know anything about that. And it made me really grateful at that moment that I pronounced the blessing, but it's not my blessing for her. I don't, I don't know her, I didn't know her, and I don't know any of the students that come to my home. But the Lord knew that she had these questions that she 
was hoping to have answered. And she said, all four of my questions were answered in my blessing. And I, I would say, I don't know if that's unique. I've never had a student say that before or a person I've given a blessing to. I'm sure there's some people that come with questions that don't get answered. Um, maybe it's not the right timing. Maybe the Lord wants them to do a little more research before they get an answer. Uh, I, I don't know, and I, I don't know that would, that would be um, the case for everybody that they would get an answer or not. I, I know one thing that has never uh, been stated in a blessing I've given uh, to a single student. I've never told that student the name of their spouse, mm -hmm. what it would be. Now, I usually get a little more laughter out of that than what you gave me. But, <laughs> but um, you know, that's an example that of something I assume the Lord wants a person to do a little more research, praying, fasting, instead of going to a patriarch and saying, well, you know, I've got these three people in mind and which one's the right one to marry or something. I've never had that happen. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Maybe it Maybe it will happen someday. It just hasn't happened yet. And then uh, another one, I remember I had a couple that came, a young couple. And as the blessing was proceeding, it, it was just kind of, um, I don't know how to say this, but the words were just coming out. It started to talk about art in the blessing and in my head, as the words were coming out, I thought, this uh, young man's going to think I'm loony. <laughs> He's a mechanical engineer. Mm. He goes to work. He actually had already graduated. He goes to work every day as a mechanical engineer. And I actually don't know any mechanical engineers that are artists. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they can't be, but at least in my mind. You don't think mechanical engineering and, and art. art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the words were coming out about art and and um, how he would explore nature to find subjects for art and this kind of thing in his patriarchal blessing. But in my mind, I was thinking, oh, no, you know, this is – he's going to think I'm off my rocker. So finish the blessing and um, – it's not that I don't have faith in the Lord. I just was thinking, wow, this is really very detailed. And as a mechanical engineer, I'm just super surprised. So after the blessing, I said, um, does, does that stuff about art make sense to you? Is this something that you're going to be exploring in your life, you think, somewhere down the road? And his wife immediately jumped in and said, oh, he's an amazing artist. Wow. Every week he goes to work, and when he comes home, we talk about where we're going to go camping over the weekend or what we're going to do over the weekend so that he can study subjects for his artwork. Hmm. And she said, if, if you've seen murals like in temples, his artwork is that good that she said, I'm sure one day he'll be painting things that, you know, goes into like temples or something. And and that's what we do every weekend. Wow. We go out and we study um, art. And so, again, I was grateful that it's not my blessing to give. 
and that the Lord knows these people uh, that come for a blessing, the students, and he knows what they'll either need now or in the future, something that will be valuable for them, and that it's his blessing and I'm, I'm there pronouncing the blessing. That's amazing. It's so cool to see how, yeah, it's not you. I mean, there's so many things you couldn't have known, and yet God knew. He does. I love that. It's great. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, definitely. It makes me wonder, hearing those just really personalized experiences, I guess, you've had with people, have you ever encountered someone who maybe felt like their blessing was less personal? And, like, do you have advice for those people? I can't say that I have with a blessing I've given, but I have met people that have asked me questions like that um, before. And I think sometimes we might find that our blessings cause us to wonder and ponder. And maybe that's what the Lord is trying to do, is to get us to seek greater understanding about our our blessing and what certain aspects of that blessing might mean for us. When uh, when students come, we usually have about 15 to 20 minutes of discussion about a blessing, and we talk about their length. Sometimes they're long. Sometimes they're short. Um, most of the time, they seem to be between one to two pages. But some years ago, when President Hinckley was the prophet, they did training for patriarchs. And uh, it's the only one that I'm aware of in 12 years that's ever happened. But he got up and he showed us his blessing. Now, he didn't show us. We couldn't see the details of it. You know, it was a little ways away and he held it up. But it was about one paragraph, his whole blessing. And so I emphasize to people, you know, that's what he needed the Lord knew what he needed, and he gave him what he needed. And because his blessing was short, didn't mean he was bad, didn't mean he was unworthy, didn't mean he was unprepared. It's just that's what the Lord knew that he needed. And um, you might have a blessing that's three pages long, and yet it might sound very um, generic in a way, even though it's longer. I don't, I don't know. You know, we don't read other patriarchs' blessings. We don't get together and chat about mm-hmm. um, blessings. It's the one calling in the church or office in the priesthood that has no quorum that meets. Mm. So we don't get together and share ideas. And I think that is very wise because I'm not getting ideas of things to say or talk about. It's just whatever the Lord knows will be helpful for you. Does that help? Yeah, totally. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share about that, about your role as a patriarch? Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, the only thing I would share is that all callings are an opportunity to serve others in just different ways. I don't see myself as... When people ask me the question like you did, how do you prepare spiritually? I don't see myself as more or less spiritual. I see myself as having a calling like anybody else. And you prepare in certain ways and the Lord helps you to magnify your calling. 
Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, how has your experience at BYU-Idaho helped you draw closer to Christ? Hmm. Well, it's, um, it's a unique opportunity to work with a group of people who have testimonies of the gospel, of a living prophet, and to all be working in a similar direction. You know, we're, we're striving to understand what disciple leaders are and how to build disciple leaders. And so I would say everybody that I work with, their um, intention is to help students to be the next leaders of the church in their homes, in their communities. And that's, that's really powerful because we're all rowing in the same direction. And we may all come at it from a different approach. We might all think about it a little differently. And yet the end goal is still there. And so, you know, there can be some um, creative tension, if you will, about how we get to the end goal. But through that and counseling together, we come to ideas, perspectives, directions that we can all get behind. And so in that way, you can just feel um, the spirit that's guiding us, and that helps, uh, helps me to feel closer to the Savior. I love that. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you.